0: God bless you. So good to see you all in your beautiful smile, you know, smiling faces here this morning. God's on the throne. It's well with our souls. Oh, man, we can come in here and just worship. Isn't that beautiful? I love worship. I love worship. I don't think we're ever going to get tired of that. I, I can't. When we're in heaven, we're just going to continue to worship our Lord and just, oh, it's going to be wonderful. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be wonderful. Well, please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We've come as far as chapter 3 here, 1 Timothy 3. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and one of the elders or ushers will get you a Bible. Uh, Please don't be shy. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll we'll bring you one over. And while you're turning there to 1 Timothy 3, um, just a couple announcements. You heard that Behold Israel is coming out, so Pastor Mike will be joining us. If you haven't signed up for that, again, it's in the cafe. There's a little sign-up sheet. Go ahead and do that. I really want to encourage you because we want the flock, uh, both services, to get signed up uh, first. So uh, we've already been having people email, call. Uh, from other churches, and certainly we want to welcome that, obviously, but we want our folks to, to get the prophecy update and be able to be here for that because it's going to have to do with Israel, everything going on here, and he's able to share that information, he's traveling all over the world, he sees all these things. And, so, um, and then he's also going to give us a time of a QA and I asked for, so a time where the flock can ask questions. Hey, what are you seeing in Israel today? What are you seeing here? What are you seeing there? Um, and I think it's just a real nice time to be able to ask those questions and um, obviously have them be backed into a scriptural mandate. So uh, sign up for that. And then the baptism picnic, as Pastor Bill said, if you've never been baptized we have a little booklet in our, our, our bookstore library. It's free. We want you to have it. It explains what water baptism is, the difference in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what have you. But water baptism and to uh, encourage you to do that. And if, you, if you've already been baptized, well, well, then obviously we want you to join us that day. It's a celebration. It's an awesome time. You know, we pull out the grill. We, you know, we have meat, barbecue for you vegetarians. We have carrots somewhere in there. You know, I'm sure we'll have like squash or something. You know, we'll take care of you. But uh, for you carnivores and, you know, we're going to have some meat and, you know, we'll get out there and we'll eat, get your belly full and just a beautiful time of worship. And uh, I really want to encourage you all to come out to that again. Mark your calendars for that. Well, as we've been coming through here, first, Timothy, we've come as far as verse 8 here, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. And again, remember what we have been building. Paul, the apostle, has been building up to verses 14 and 15, really, which is the thematic sort of uh, verses within the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3 here. It says, These things I write to you that I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Certainly, we're going to read through that today, but that's the point. That's the aim. That's the goal. We're coming into the house of God, and how ought we to conduct ourselves? What is church? Why do we do this? Why do we gather together? Why did the Lord say, you know, gather the saints together? Why do we come and open the word of God? We read here, it's so that we might be calibrated. We might understand what conduct looks like, right? And as we've been making our way through First Timothy, he began in chapter 2 by going and speaking about what are the roles and offices of men? What are some of the roles and offices of women? He then went in specifically to leadership and pastors, because this is a pastoral epistle, right? He went in and he spoke specifically to what is the responsibility of a pastor and or a leader within the church? The qualifications, may I say it that way. And we read through that last week in verses uh, chapter 3 of 1. Through seven. Now he's moving over to the deacons. Now, I want to be very, very clear. There, this sometimes gets misunderstood or mistaught, and I want to be very clear what we're reading here. This is not saying one is greater or less than the other. One is more spirit, spiritual and less spiritual. That is not how this breaks out in chapter 3, 1 through 13, as we'll read here this morning. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Acts chapter 6, you remember very clearly there were six chosen that were filled with what? The Holy Spirit. So these are men and women that are spirit-filled, as we read in verses 8 through 13, okay? However, verses 1 through 7 is speaking solely to an overseer, an elder. But it's not to say that an elder somehow is better than a deacon, that, that is not what the scriptures try to say, and there's no reason to lord over people or be Nicolaitans over situations like that where people lord it. well, mean you know, all of a sudden you get the elder badge. You've seen some churches do that. You know, they give somebody an elder badge, and next week, you know, they're telling everybody what to do, and, you know, it's like, oh, what just happened here? What, you know, no, 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 no. We should be walking this out, and whether, you, you know, that badge should be in your heart, right? And then the same thing with a deacon. The Greek word for deacon right here, it's gender neutral. And I want to be very clear upon that. So this is men and women. This isn't just saying men that serve the tables. This is men and women that can serve the tables. And pretty much we see that here in the fellowship in Calvary Chapel. Men and women uh, in the aspect of a deacon, all different kinds of things, whether it's the bathrooms. I mean, you, you think about what happens every morning when you guys arrive, right? You come into the church. You come to worship. You come... There, there's, oh my, how many people that have showed up even on Saturdays to make sure that this, this building is clean and properly prepared, that when you walk in the office all week, there's uh, ladies in there that have gone before to make sure all the calls that have come in have gotten answered, files for the school, things that have to happen. There is so much work that goes on within a church that I think many people aren't even aware of uh, because we walk in on a Wednesday or a Sunday and we're like, church, we're here. Church now happens, right? But during the week when 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 you're at your employment or elsewhere, right, there's a whole lot that's going on. And so these things matter to God. They matter to God. And the other thing that I think is important is that we learn in verses 14 and 15, it's not the church of the pastor. It's not the church of even really uh, the ideology of a man or whoever's standing at the pulpit. It is the church of God. And he's the one that gets to decide how a church operates. The pastor does not. The pastor is an under rower. He's an under shepherd. You know of a boat. You think of somebody under rowing. You can't see from the bottom of the boat where you're going, can you? But you can follow the orders and directions of the shepherd or the captain. In our case, Jesus Christ, right? So this is what we're doing. And the word of God is his voice. It's God breathed. So He has given this to us so that we may understand. And again, I want to point out The deacons and the elders, one of the primary differences, not the only, is that the deacons are tied more to the physical needs of the body. So the physical needs of the body. But they have to be spiritual men and women. They really do, because Acts chapter 6 said these men and women have to be spirit-filled. Okay, Mm -hmm. So let's bow our heads, we'll pray, and then we'll go line by line. Father, we just thank you again that, Lord, we're, we're not wandering uh, aimlessly here and, and wondering what it is to be a disciple of you, Jesus Christ. You have given us instruction. You've certainly given us teaching, your doctrine, Lord. And most importantly, you've given us your love that guides us through all of these passages that we would know how to conduct ourselves, Lord. And, Lord, we, we all here want to be more like you, Jesus. We do. We desire that in every aspect of our, our, our lives um, and so certainly as we enter in here this morning, we want to be taught, Lord. We want to, to spend time over and just anoint your word that it would penetrate our hearts, Lord, that you would bring this calmness within us. There's so much going on in the world, Lord, today, so many other doctrines, other gospels, uh, men in, in their own wisdom uh, opining about how things should be done. But God, uh, it, it, the religion has done so much damage, Lord. this world, and now we see what a real relationship with you, Jesus, looks like, and how we ought to conduct ourselves, and how we ought to love one another that way as well, Lord. Thank you that you've given us roles and offices, and you've laid all these things out before us very peaceably, very gently, and so, God, we want to walk in them. We want to be obedient, God. We know you desire obedience over any sacrifice, Lord, so we pray that do the work in our hearts this morning, all of us here, Lord. We need you, Jesus. We need you. So we ask and pray all of this in your holy and mighty name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people pray. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I'll read verses 8 through 13, and then we'll go back and we'll, we'll take a look at this here. He says, I like or likewise, sorry, excuse me, deacons must be reverent. Now, he's saying likewise because verses 1 again through 7 had talked about overseers in the church, men. And specifically, he said men. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So going back here, it says, likewise deacons. Again, he's, he's kind of saying the same idea, spiritually speaking, what it is to operate as a deacon, much like it was. How is it to operate as an elder and overseer? There are qualifications. There are things that God has laid out for those that are in leadership as pastors and elders, and then also for those that will meet the physical needs and serve in the body. Because after the uh, you know at the end of the day, we are all servants of Christ, and so he comes back and he said, likewise, deacons must be reverent. So that's the first thing he calls out. Not double tongued, right? Now, this is interesting. This double tongue doesn't mean uh, uh, that, you know, twisted tongue or something like that. What it means is that if you are around that person, and you're around, an, you know, they go in our company, let's say here, and they say something or share something, but then they go into another mixed group or mixed company of somebody else, they they don't say something different. They're not they're not double tongue. They're not saying something to be people pleasers, maybe with the, the Christians that are assembled. And then when they get into the aspects or areas of the world they turn around and they change their their speech pattern they change their their action what they say how they characterize themselves maybe maybe you've seen or or know of people like that in your lives where when they're in church they're like hallelujah you know high you know high five and you know uh, wonderful wonderful and then they get into their employment and some of the things that come out of their mouth shock you, the words, the description, things like that, because, you know, we come in here and we worship our God with this mouth, with this tongue, with this heart, and that doesn't change just because our physical, you know, environment changes. We are still uh, children of God, and so he's calling this out. He's saying they cannot, uh, they cannot be double-tongued this way, right? Not given too much wine. Again, as we read, uh, pastors and elders, as we read in verses 1 through 7, uh, they are not to have any drink. They're not to have any alcohol because Ephesians 5 says they're to be uh, moved and used by the Holy Spirit that way. Now, what we see here, however, we know, by the way, the body of Christ, you all, as long as it's not a drunken situation, are are free to partake in alcoholic beverages, uh, particular wine or things like that with maybe a glass of dinner or something. There's nothing wrong with that. You're allowed that. And again, as we talked about last week, when you think about the concentration of alcohol, you know, back in this day, it was at 2%. And I remember asking you last week, how many of you think, what, what is, you know, a bottle of wine, what is the concentration of alcohol today? And, and some of you were pretty close, actually. You said about 10%. Some people said 12%. I said, yes. And it's almost five times more concentrated, the alcohol concentration today than it was 2,000 years ago when this has been given through the Holy Spirit. So the idea is 2,000 years ago you know, you might have two or three glasses of wine and you're fine because your alcohol content is still at what, 6%, right? But today you could have one glass of wine at 10% and that can For some people, that can inebriate you, right? That can make you a little uh, not in your right mind. The idea is that we don't want anything to distract us from the moving and the leading of the Holy Spirit. But it's not that you can't have a glass of wine. Uh, Leaders, elders, again, we cannot. We are not according to Scripture. Deacons, we see here. They, too, are allowed. They're servants. They're allowed to have a glass of wine. But, again, they're not allowed to be drunkards. So those that are serving and meeting the physical needs. Now, you might remember where this whole idea of a deacon came into the church, Acts chapter 6, when there was the meeting of the distribution. At that time, there was bread that was being handed out and different things to the church as they had gathered. It was the early formation of the church, okay? And so they were meeting the needs. You had some Jews, and said some Hellenistic Jews and people that had been gathered, which means they had a Greek influence to them, okay? So as they were gathering together, what was happening is some of the folks were pointing out saying, look... These folks over here that are part of the body, they're being neglected. They're not getting the distribution. They're not getting the food. They're having to wait till all these other people are going. We need more people to help. And so they came and said to the apostles, what are we, you know, what are we going to do or how should we handle this? And the apostles says, we need to be given to prayer and the word of God, right? They said, we need to be given to prayer and the word of God. Not that the, uh, certainly a pastor or a leader isn't to do things around, absolutely to be involved in the church, but you know, they need to also be studying the word of God in preparation to be able to come and be used as God as a vessel, to, to open his word and read line by line and verse by verse, explain and give application. You need to be prayed up and ready for that, right, to be used by God. Well, so they said, well, let's raise up men to help, these men to help like that. And the qualification that we saw wasn't that they were talented or gifted. That We, we, read, we read nothing about that in the beginning in Acts chapter 6. The qualification was, were they and are they filled with the Holy Spirit? Are they godly men? And, and I say women, because we see deacons, or some people use the term deaconess, not, not really a Greek term, but nonetheless, we see that. And so they're saying here, deacons or deaconess, they're not to be given to much wine. Now, this isn't because they're, they're not spiritual, as I just said. They are spiritual Uh, men and women uh, they are certainly to help and to draw people closer to Jesus Christ but they also are required and, and called to meet the physical needs. And again, I just in a given week, when you look at what needs to be done around the church, between the cleaning, the vacuuming, the parking lot, you know, the bottles of water, all the stuff that has to happen, there's a lot of work that goes in. And it takes the body of Christ. It takes everybody in the body of Christ to raise up. Some people help out financially. Some people help out by physically taking drives to, you know, one of the, you know, wholesale clubs to pick up the water or, or, or sometimes Pastor Bill will do that. And, and I mean, it takes, it takes a lot of hands uh, to, to, to meet the, the needs for the body of Christ here. Not greedy for money. Again, much like an elder overseer, someone uh, that's greedy for money, you, you got to worry about that constantly, right? What if they're doing the counting for the offering, right? The offering in the boxes in the back that that's, uh, that's the Lord's money, right? We understand that. That that belongs to God and he uses that for the provisions of the church to meet the needs of the people and all of that. No one has a right to go. What if you had to worry about a deacon or a deaconess going in and skimming off the top? I'm sorry to say it so directly, but what if you have to worry about that? that that's why when you're looking at some, that's going to be a deacon or deaconess, or somebody even that's going to count the money, we need to know, all of us here, we need to have accountability, and we need to know for a fact that that person isn't going to be greedy or interested in lucre or gain that way, okay? They have to have the right heart, right? And that's not, that's in every aspect, because, you know, whether it's, it's, like I said, the bathrooms, and, you know, because could they be wasting materials that belong to the Lord? Absolutely. That's why you want to make sure the person that's doing this Their spirit belongs to the Lord. Their their heart belongs to God, okay? Holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience, okay? And this is speaking... It's the idea of obedience, they know their Bible, okay, it's that holding to the mystery of faith. Again, that points out that this isn't just someone that comes in that's a warm body that can dust off chairs or vacuum. That's not what a deacon is. A deacon also, by qualifications, needs to know their Bible. This is a spiritual aspect to this, right? The mystery of the faith. They they need it with a pure conscience. That speaks to obedience and holiness. Verse 10, But let these also first be tested that they serve as deacons. Okay? So... Again, there's not a growth plan here. It's not, oh, by the way, I start out as a deacon and I work my way to an elder and then one day a pastor. That is not what this is saying. The idea here is that we first want to see and make sure the heart is right. So when people come into the fellowship here, a lot of times maybe they want to come up and serve in different aspects. And we ask the people to please, you know, get to know, invest in Hearts here first in the sanctuary. Get to know the people in the in the fellowship before you're going to serve. Because we want to make sure, first of all, this is your home. You're going to be dug in here. You have the right heart. You you have all of that check, 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 okay, and then we also want to make sure that you have a heart for other people, because you're investing in others, because again, it's of a spiritual nature, right, so we kind of hold off, we're, you know, we're particular about those things, because God is particular about these things, I know there's some churches, uh, you know, you know them just like I do, you can literally go in, never have fellowship there before, and go ahead and start serving, they'll, you know, build a building, do whatever you want, turn around and clean the carpets, do it, and they'll, yeah, Absolutely. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be a deacon. It's, it's something that we're watching. You're watching. Someone that knows. It's a privilege when people have that opportunity to serve the Lord and build that treasure up in heaven. And we want to do it so that it's right. And the idea here is that they, they've been proved this way. That's, that's what that word tested means. Their character has been proved out. That they're, they're someone that can be trusted with each other, right? Hearts. They can be trusted with hearts. You know, we have people working in the office sometimes. It's a, that's a really important ministry. There's a lot of personal information. We need to know that somebody's going to handle that with the right heart, right? Not share your personal information and, and all that stuff that way, right? So th- there's a lot that goes into all of these. Then let them serve as de- deacons being found blameless. Now, certainly this is not saying without any sin, right? That they're perfect. That, that is, none of us would be here, Amen. None of us would be not, nobody's arrived what this is saying is that there's no ongoing sin in their life there's not something in their life that they're continuing to do that they have that, that they have said, well you know what God you understand I need to continue in let's say pornography or what have you or something like that no 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 that that's not. Uh, that's not found for a deacon or a servant if something like that happens then then it's not the right time for that person to be serving and instead we should be counseling and encouraging that person to help them be freed from that addiction as an example right and I know that's that's hard i've talked to the pastors and I remember as the Lord was planting this work here in this church you know in the beginning years especially you know we're we're coming into year seven now it's it's hard to believe already and as we were starting, you know, we were very particular because we always kept the first Timothy three. And so some people would kinda of come in and help. And we literally had to say, I'm sorry, we, we, we just can't we can't have you do that right now. We we need to we need you know, you please sit in the sanctuary, let, let the Lord wash and renew your mind and, and get right. We we never compromised in this area. We just don't compromise in this area. Because we want God to bless the fellowship. We want everything to be done with decency and order. 1 Corinthians 14.40, right? So we want to we do this. All. And this is how God blesses and how God has designed the church. Likewise, their wives. And likewise, again, because he spoke about the wives up in verses 1 through 7. He says their wives must be reverent, right? Not slanderers. Now, that's an interesting word. The idea of slanderers. That word in the that's diablo. That, that's what that word means in the Greek. It actually means that they're not devil-tongued. That's what it's saying in the Greek because I want you to think about this. Deaconess, deacon, and, and or their wives, and vice versa, or the husband, either way this way, the idea is here, they're hearing information that might be uh, uh, going on in the church, and they need to be trusted. They're not going to go off and talk to somebody else at a at a game or a sporting event or, or or at work or something and begin to talk about your personal affairs and the things that are going on in your life, maybe struggles or different things that are happening. That needs to be kept confident, right, uh, and and respected. That 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 uh, idea there of confidence and respect, and that's what it's talking about. That it can't have somebody that's going to go off and be devil tongued, you know. Say Say things that they shouldn't be saying and and know things like that. One of the things we always talk about with the pastors, and many of you have come in for counseling. uh, Praise the Lord for that because that is the responsibility of a pastor. He is to counsel like that, even elders and what have you. One of the things that you'll see is that when we're meeting with you, we talk about this, that whatever you say, stays in confidence. We don't even go to the other pastors. If you come and speak with me, I don't go to Pastor Bill or Pastor Steve and talk about those things. If you came to me directly, it stays with me directly. I don't go home and my wife doesn't go. So what what is you know what happened, you know? There there's an idea and an understanding that this is the work of the Lord and this is anointed and holy and there shouldn't be this idea of well, what happened? Even though she may be concerned or the pastors may be concerned about what's going on and vice versa. The only time that happens is if if we ask and say, is it okay if I share this with one of the other pastors just so we can counsel together to make sure we're giving you the best scriptural, but that's that's always with your permission. And that's the idea here, that that, that there's not slandering, right? temperate, right? I think we all know what that means, right? Not flying off the handle or, or not joking when something is serious going on in your life, and they just kind of laugh, and it's it would be entirely inappropriate. Faithful in all things here, in all aspects of service, right? Let deacons be the husbands of one wife. The idea here, again, is not having multiple wives, right? Genesis is very clear. I created the male and female so you are to be uh, you know, the, the, a one-wife or a one-husband relationship here, not polygamy. This is clearly what this is talking about. Ruling their children in their own house well. There needs to be respect and obedience, right? If you can't manage the affairs of your home, how could you possibly ever ma- manage the affairs of God? These things are serious and need to be thought of as sober-minded. And, and, and I mean, understand, we're talking about people that are meeting the physical needs, That means people that may go out into the the fellowship here, maybe go out around the grounds, and maybe they're picking up pieces of paper. You mean to tell me, pastor, that those people that are just picking up a piece of paper, by the way, just, there is no just, but those people that are just picking up, need to fit into these qualifications within the church to be able to do that? And the answer is yes that's what you and I have just read. God has a very specific uh, determination on how the church is to be run, and the stakes are high, because souls matter. And it's entirely possible for something to happen where somebody can abuse that situation, and, and that's unacceptable within the church, right? Unacceptable. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is uh, in Christ Jesus. And it, it just makes me think of Philip in the Bible, right? I mean, do you remember? He says, Lord, forgive them for they do not know what they do as he was being, or Stephen, excuse me, as he was saying, sitting, I think of Philip too, but Stephen also, as you was saying, forgive me, Lord, for they not know what they do as he was being martyred. He's a deacon. That's, that's the heart of a deacon, someone that's serving that heart, that he's so compassionate, even though they're killing him, they're martyring him, he, he's so worried about their very souls, Do you see that? How beautiful that is? That's a a deacon. That's a deacon in the church. That's what it looks like. Verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself. We finally got to this passage, right? In the house of God, how you are to behave, men and women, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, it's God's church, the pillar and the ground of truth. He's he's talking about how it's built up, how its foundation is based on the word and the truth. It's God's church, right? And it must be uh, done according to his standards and what he's given us in the word of God. Uh, Many of you through your lives, if you've been 30, 40, 50, 60 years around, you've been to other churches. You've seen that church can be done many different ways. However, I would suggest to you this morning that there's really one way, and that's God's way, and that's according to the Word of God. When you begin to see these different governmental, I use that term, or ordaining bodies of a church, you you see these things. I encourage you, look at them in context of the of Scripture. Look at this church. This church needs to be brought up into the light of Scripture. Do we fit in, in chapters 2 and 3, in the book of Revelation, where does this church fall? You know, one of the things we're going to read here, a few verses down, is how is this church reflected in the community? How is this church known, Calvary Chapel Harrisburg here in Camp Hill, right? How are we known? Are we known for a church that teaches the Word of God? Maybe we don't have a lot of programs. Maybe we don't have a lot of fancy uh, uh, digs or things like that, you know? Maybe we don't have a lot of things like, you know, a lot of the larger churches maybe have. And, and But we're known for teaching the Word of God. I'm good with that. Honestly, I'm good with that. I'm perfectly... Uh, at peace with that because the most important thing is that we come under the word of God that way so that we know truth because the truth will always set us free and that we know our Bibles so we know why we do what we do how we live and God has desired us to understand those things because when we when you start to realize how much God has given us detail we just worship Him more and more don't we because he saw of these things he's gone before us in this you know, we're, again, we're not just wandering, you know, think, I think of Mormonism, I think of, you know, Taoism, I think of, you know, Buddhism and Hinduism, I, I think of Islam, I think of all of these religions, not relationships with Jesus. I think of all of these religions, and I look as they're all striving to try to earn somehow their way into paradise, how they're, they're thinking somehow there's a way to get there within themselves, And therefore, they're following their own mandates or their books that they've written, you know, that are added to or appended from. I mean, we know Islam, some of that was taken from the Old Testament. We know the Book of Mormon, some of that has been taken from aspects of New Testament. But they've added so much more on that is not holy, that is not God-breathed. And therefore, that's an anathema, as Scripture says. When you add to Scripture or take away from Scripture, that word anathema, you know what that word means? It's a curse. And that's why, again, Paul made such a big deal with Timothy in first chapter, uh, chapter one, verse three, teach no other doctrine. Right. Verse three, teach no other doctrine, Timothy, because that's the very attack that's going to come against the church. There's going to be this idea to teach other doctrines. And you might think, what is he going going to build that out in chapter four? So he goes on and says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And he's going to explain these verses in 16 here. They're clearly talking about Jesus here, right? God, he's more or less explaining the gospel for us. God was manifested in the flesh, right? Justified in the spirit. Now, That's the ministering of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, we know that's what it's talking about. But he says he was manifested in the flesh. This is a big deal, right? I mean, this was prophesied. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. This would prophesy that God would come in the flesh. We know it. God would be with us. What do we call that? Emmanuel, right? We Every Christmas we celebrate that. Emmanuel, right? Uh, it, you may send cards and you may write Isaiah 714 on there in the passage. Look what it says here. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning what? God with us, right? And then when you look at it, there's also the aspect of a man, because certainly we understand his deity. That's speaking to God coming in human form, right? The Immaculate Conception. There, that's Isaiah seven fourteen. The deity of God, God coming in the flesh. But there is also this aspect of the God-Man, right? He's hundred percent human and he's hundred percent divine. We just talked about the the divinity in Isaiah seven fourteen. But what about his humanity? That was also prophesied in Isaiah. Turn, since you're in that book, to Isaiah. Isaiah 52, please. We're going to look at Isaiah 52 here this morning. And this is what Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, direct direct revelation. uh, I I meant to say Isaiah 53 as I'm turning in my Bibles. It's Isaiah 53, excuse me. This is speaking to the humanity or the suffering servant that Jesus Christ was for you and I, taking our sin uh, that we rightfully deserve. He took the wrath of God upon himself for you and I. And this is certainly understand as a a, a prophetic passage or chapter. And it's very interesting if you bring your Jewish friends to this chapter and ask them, because clearly it's talking about an individual or a suffering servant, and ask them, what does this mean? Because they know the prophet Isaiah. Many times what they'll say is, well, it's the nation. But then you can go into the Hebrew and describe, well, give me the plurality or singularity of this. Is this talking about a single individual? Because in the Hebrew it is. And if I'm talking about a nation, that's plurality. And then they, I don't want to talk about it anymore. And that, many times that's what will happen. I don't, I don't want to talk. Because at that point, it's really not, a, it's, it's not something to be debated. It, it really is that, I hate to say it, that uh, very straightforward. Okay. Let's look at Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant as a root out of dry ground he has no form or comeliness and when we see him there's no beauty that we should desire him that means when we looked on jesus 2000 years ago physically manifest they weren't going to go you're the one look at you you're, you're you're you know you're bigger stronger you know boy the most handsome i mean you know whatever that, that, no the depths of his heart although i believe that if you and i would have saw him we would have seen him as the most beautiful god man to ever walk this earth. And I don't know if that's just our hearts that would do that or the fact that that's just who he is. That just is who Jesus is. He is despised and rejected by men. And here it is, verse 3, a man. We see the humanity of the suffering servant, that he's not only 100% divine, but he is 100% human. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Speaking to the resurrection, right? To the work on the cross and then the resurrection. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Isn't that the, isn't that the rub of humanity? Doing what, it goes back to the book of Judges. And they all did what was right in their own eyes. That's the form of idolatry that exists in the depravity of humanity because of a a will, I will, you know? And I don't think there's any, Isaiah 14, I don't think there's any uh, coincidence that in Isaiah 14, the devil is recorded as saying, I will, I will, I will, five times. I will be like the God most high. It has everything to do with pride in the matter of will. Whose will? Your will or God's will be done? That's really the attack. That's really been always the attack. In the garden, chapter 2, right? Chapter 3, the attack on Eve. What was it about? One, it was the fact that she was not the spiritual head or leader there. Clearly, that was an attack, we understand. But what was also part of that attack was that she was being trying, or the devil was trying to convince her that she could know more or be like God, No good and evil, Right? It's what it's always been about. It's always a matter of wills. The sooner we come to that realization, the sooner we realize the battle that's before us. And the aspect of why he says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily. Now you start to understand why Jesus was warning us. Listen, to save your life is to what? To really lose it in Christ. And to gain your life, right, that way is to lose it in Christ, right? But to try to hold it, you actually, uh, you, you do the opposite, right? You, you lose your life. It's counterintuitive to some way because the natural instinct of the flesh is self-preservation, isn't it? It's, uh, it's somehow lifting ourselves up better than another. And that is exactly contrary to the gospel. So let's keep reading here. He said, you know, he, he was bruised for our iniquities. His, the of peace was upon him. His stripes we've been healed and like sheep we've all gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, he, put his, uh, he, put, he has put him to, him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. Did you see that? Jesus was made an offering for you and I, a free will offering. He willingly gave up his own, you see, right? You remember that when he's on the cross? He willingly gave up his own, his own soul that way, you know. You can turn back to First Timothy 3. So clearly we see this idea of what it's speaking here that God was manifested in the flesh, Again, it's talking about God, and it's talking about humanity, and that's why we look at Isaiah. He was justified in the, in the Spirit. Clearly, it was a ministry of the Holy Spirit, seen by angels. We now see that part of his ministry also had to do with the character of the angelic hosts. Preached among the Gentiles, right, that he had come to save all. Beloved on and in the world, received up in glory, speaking to his ascension to heaven, right? Chapter 4. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and to doctrine of demons. Let's pause there. Sometimes when people read this and say, now in these latter times, they think this means the last of the last days. That's actually not what they're talking about here. In the context of the Greek, the idea is after this time. So it can be between now and the time of the latter days, the last of the last days, which I do believe we are in the last of the last days that way, but... But it's not saying like in the, you know, at that point in the last of the last days. It's it's saying a time later or later than that, right? That's what he's saying here. Some will depart from the faith. And I think this is interesting. So much is, uh, is being written about this today because we're seeing this so just clearly happening in the church today. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I, I I'm so grateful for this verse, verse 1 of chapter 4, because now we start to understand authorship. Who is the author of these alternate gospels that we read in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, or these deceiving spirits, right, or these things that are happening, these other doctrines? It's demonic. It's not wrong to say it's demonic. Your Bible just said it's demonic. We need to call it for what it is. So when we see other teachings that are contrary to the word of God, you can 100% declare that is demonic because that's what Christ has declared. Now, he's going to give us some examples here because, again, he told Timothy, teach no other doctrine. What is the doctrine? Doctrine just is a word that means teaching in the Greek. What he's talking about the Bible. Anything that is contrary to God, his character, or the Bible, right? That's a work of demons or demonic here. And he says, speaking lies In hypocrisy, using that term 2,000 years ago means different than what we would think hypocrisy means today. Yes, it means saying one thing and doing another. You might say that's a hypocrite. But actually, the word hypocrisy in the Greek 2,000 years ago, if you looked it up in a lexicon, it actually has the idea of an actor, someone that is portraying or acting out a part. So what he's saying here is that that speaking lies as an actor, that means there's acknowledgement and they know what they're doing because an actor is one that, is carrying out a part or a skit or something like that. And there's premeditation to that, isn't there? They understand they're doing that. This is going into, he's, he's now, Paul's now going to be going with the revelation of Jesus Christ a little deeper of what is undermining this. And he's going to tell us there's two different aspects. One is bad, one is even worse. But the first aspect is speaking in hypocrisy, right? That's the first here, right? Lies. Now we know that... Uh, The devil can quote scripture, right? We saw that in Matthew chapter 4. Did he not try to do that to Jesus Christ? But what did he do? He pretexted. He took the text out of context. Deuteronomy chapter 8 is an example, verse 6. And, you know, man does not live by bread alone. Jesus responded in context correctly. But what did the devil do? The devil tried to play upon a lust or a flesh need because Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry, and so he tried to play upon his flesh and he lied. The devil is the father of all lies. John chapter 8, verse 44 tells us that. We know that. He's been a liar from the beginning, right? But this is what he does. And so he, he goes and he speaks lies and hypocrisy, right? And then the second one, and this is, this is very scary to me here, uh, because again, he's saying some are going to depart from the faith, right? They're going to move away from God's word or shepherding. And that's the idea back in chapter uh, 4, verse 1. Departing from the faith is anyone who moves from God's standard. Anyone, I want to be very, very clear and just say that to you, what we're reading here is anyone and anything that moves from God's holy standard, according to this, because that's what it means to depart from the faith, has been done, has been enticed, or that has been done because of a doctrine of demon. It's demonic. And then clearly one of the tools or the examples or how he's seeing this played out is they speak lies and hypocrisy as an actor, which means they're premeditating to do this. Or they're having their own, their own conscience seared with a hot iron, right? So what does that mean? Uh, the idea of searing, this is speaking, again, going back in the Greek and look how it's used. It's speaking to a third degree burn. If you got a third degree burn, that's what a searing is. It's very hot. It actually does nerve damage. You no longer feel. That's one of the differences between a second and a third degree burn is that a third degree burn comes with nerve damage. So you no longer feel. So what this is talking about is that there is no feeling. You've been burned to the point uh, uh, that you no longer feel and no longer are concerned that you are no longer teaching the word of God. Just think about that for a minute. That, that is absolutely scary that that can happen. That your heart can betray you. Your emotions can betray you. Demonically, you can be influenced to believe such lies that your heart can actually stop feeling because it's been so seared that you believe the lie. Or, like I said, worse as well, you premeditate to tell somebody else a lie knowing that you know the truth. Using that word hypocrisy because you're acting as an actor. That's really what this is saying, the depth of this. And then he goes on and gives us the examples of what those look like when people lie or hypocrisy or they give you false doctrine. And he just calls out a couple here, okay? I mean, he could have spent, you know, the Lord could have spent the rest of the Bible going through and just listing them all. We are aware today, some of these things, but, but listen to what he says. Forbidding the Mary. I, I want you to just stop there for a minute. What religion or if I call them a denomination, forbids for individuals that are serving in ministry to marry. The Catholic Church, we understand that. Look, I grew up Catholic, okay? I grew up Catholic, and I I, I didn't, you know, at the time, I didn't have a personal relationship. Many, many Catholics do that, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to be very careful there. We have to be careful. But I personally didn't. I didn't understand uh, for whatever reason. I, you know, hard-hearted at the time, maybe, my heart. But I, I... understood that priests were not allowed to marry. And I remember asking a priest one time, why are you not allowed to marry? And the answer was, well, because the Catholic Church says so. And I, at that point, it was a few years after I got saved, I remember asking, well, where in the Bible does it say that? And then they would go to passages like where it says in Paul, you know, Paul writes in, in, in you know, I think it's a Corinthians or, or some of his Pauline epistles where he says, hey, it's better for a man to be single, you know, not distracted. Okay, but that wasn't a commandment not to marry. Where, where is that? You know, and I'm not picking on the Catholic Church. Please understand what I'm giving you is an example. And I want you to understand that there are denominations and churches that are adhering to that today. Okay. That's just, just an easy one, right? Forbidding to marry. Now, let's be... Uh, very clear. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says different, doesn't it? God has ordained marriage, right? One male and one female, and that was pre-curse. That's God's sacrament of marriage, and he has made it holy. One male and one female. That's God's word. So clearly that's a blessing. So anybody speaking contrary to that word is, is doing what? Contrary to the word of God. And didn't we just realize? Uh, Maybe some of us reading this the first time. Who's the author of that? Where's that coming from? Say it. You know that we just read it. Chapter four, verse one. It's a doctrine of what? Demons. It's demonic. We need to call it for what it is. It's demonic. So yes. Now look at the harm and the things that have happened within the Catholic church because they have chose to go contrary to the word of God. You know what I'm talking about. The, the child abuse, the things that have happened, uh, uh, sexual abuse, things like that that have happened within that church because they have put men in situations that they should never have ever been called to be. Never were called by God to be uh, uh, that way. Celibate as an example, right? God didn't get, some are called to celibacy. It's a gift of God. Some aren't, but it was not something God declared to his church. Remember, we're context is church here. Look at the next one and commanding them to abstain from food, which God created to be received with thanksgiving for those who believe and know the truth. Okay, so now we're talking about food, right? So I want you to think about, well, turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 15. Again, what does the word of God say? But there's churches today um, um, that say, well, you know, You can't eat this meat. Again, I think of the Catholic Church, right? On Friday growing up, I was not allowed to eat meat. You know, you had fish, right? That's what we did. And, you know, part of an Italian family, you went through that anyway. But the reality was on Fridays you were not allowed to eat meat. Why? Where is that in the word of God? That's not in the Word of God, right? Now, there's a lot of other churches, though, that have added on to that same thing, where it's, by the way, you should worship on this day of the week. You should do this. You should do that. And they keep adding. And we see that this is a doctrine of demons. Anytime you add, you make it a religion. Anytime you add to the Word of God, you have now effectively made it a religion. And it's a doctrine of demons. Look at Acts chapter 15. Look at verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren that they wrote in this letter, James, we believe, authored this, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are in the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some of you went out from us and have troubled with words, unsettling your soul and saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us being assembled with you one accord to send chosen men Uh, to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by the word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, underline that in your Bible, and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols from blood. Okay. From things strangled, from things sexually immoral. If you keep yourself from these, you'll do well. Farewell. That's it. Nothing. You don't see anything else about, you know, vegan, vegetarian, um, you know, or a meat eater. God is not, you know, we're in, we're, in a, we're in a better covenant, right? You can go ahead and have that brontosaurus burger, and it's okay, you know, we can do those things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there are some churches that, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. Now, some of you, you know, you may be, like I said, you may be vegetarians and vegans, and that's great, you know, and... You know, we can have carrots. I'll come. Here. We'll eat carrots at your house. I'm, I'm fine. Squash. You know, whatever you do, I'll do it with you. But the reality is, that's not something that God has expressly um, called out here. And if you want to see a little bit more about that, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter fourteen, and and look at how Paul also speaks to the church in Rome. Again, direct revelation from Jesus Christ on these matters. And again, I understand and this isn't, and Paul's going to make this clear, that there is a benefit, right, to not eating meat every day. I think we can all understand that, you know, from a heart-related aspect, right? What we're talking about is a spiritual matter, right? Circumcision, eating certain foods, being married or not being married, does not make you more spiritual, that is the attack against the false doctrine, the doctrine of demons that we're talking about. It's all about what would make you more spiritual. Fellowshipping on a one particular day a week does not make you more spiritual than another, right? That's the context. Look here in chapter 14, verse one. Receive one who is weak in the faith. He doesn't mean like, you know, he means immature, learning, okay? But do not dispute over doubtful things, for one believes he means all things. But he who is weak eats only vegetables. Again, this is not picking on vegetarians. This is the idea that someone thinks that if they can only eat vegetables, somehow it's going to make them spiritually more mature or more spiritual. And the answer is absolutely not. What you put in your body doesn't make you more spiritual. As a matter of fact, it doesn't defile you either. It's what comes out of the heart that defiles a man or a woman, right? That's what Christ said, Jesus said. So just as an example, he's made it very clear. The idea is legalism, right, and religion because they go hand in hand, by the way. It's very rare you'll find a legalist and not find a religious movement or a religious movement that's not legalist to some extent. They go hand in hand compared to a relationship where Jesus Christ did the saving and he says partake and eat what you choose to eat obviously your temples, your temple don't go out and eat only gummy bears, right? Because you're not going to survive a long time that way. Or maybe if you do, you're going to become a gummy bear. I don't know. But it's not good for you, right? You're tracking with me. So he's clearly telling you, Look, these things are doctrines of demons. And I just want you to think about the Mormons, how they've added to the word of God. I want you to think of Islam, right? It's a doctrine of demons. Yes, I'll say it like it is. That's what it is, right? What about, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Jehovah's Witness? The same thing they've added to it, right? These cults, the list goes on and on and on whenever you're dealing with these doctrine of demons. Because what has happened? They departed from the faith, the word of God. The word of God, okay? Now, he tells us we're to, we're to have thanksgiving because we believe and know the what? The truth. How can we know the truth? Because we have the word of God. That's the idea. We're not walking around. God isn't, our father's an absentee parent. He's called out, look, here's what I expect from you. Here's how you're to live. Our father in heaven is not an absentee parent. Okay, he goes on to say, for every creature, and it's interesting, he, he, if you, you know, look at scripture here. The idea is this is used, this is a New Testament term, it's used three times. James 1.18 uses it in reference to us, human beings. Revelation chapter 5.13 uses it in reference to the angelic hosts or what are these creatures that are in the throne room of God, right, that way. And Revelation 8.9 does the same thing. So he's talking about all his creation that is uh, worshippers of God here. I want to be very clear. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving, this idea of legalism versus blessing. And this is why verse 5 makes it clear. For it is sanctified by the word. What does that mean? That means it's holy, and it's holy because what? Because the word of God in prayer. So what What? What? the Apostle Paul is saying to us here is that if you're going to partake of something, whether that's a food or beverage, the idea is obviously that it's not going to make you more spiritual. The only time that we see something like that is fasting, right, where we're called to fast in scripture, and that's the removal of the food that way, uh, uh, and or drink if you're doing a a full fast or just a a food fast, Um, and the idea is because you set a time apart so that your heart and Jesus, and there's no distraction, so you're denying the flesh, right, that's the only capacity uh, that we see here, but the idea is it's not prohibited by God's word, when you begin to see things and you begin to see these other doctrines, look in your Bible. Does the Bible say you can't have dairy? Does the Bible say that you can't, um, you know, that you're to be a vegetarian only? No. Your scripture doesn't tell you that, right? So if it's not prohibited by God, what that that's what it's saying here when it says it's sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So we'll stop there for this morning. You know, as we go through, we're going to look uh, next week, um, if the Lord should tarry, uh, we're going to continue on and, and look at, you know, the idea of where this builds up to and, you know, the idea of superstition, people falling for superstitions. That even is a false doctrine. And he's, you know, Paul's going to call that out. He's going to call out, you know, exercise. He's going to say, look, there are some people that have to, Christians, that have to exercise every day, two hours they'll spend every day, whatever they have to do, go to the gym, whatever they do, and they'll spend two hours. And he says, hey, that profits a little, you feel a little better. But that's not going to, again, make you better spiritually, right? The idea is how much time are you spending with Jesus? Because there's Christians that will go to a gym for two or three hours a day, and they won't spend more than 15 minutes in a devotional in the morning or 30 or an hour, minutes to an hour in the morning. They'll spend twice as long in their workout. That's exactly upside down. It's turned upside down. And the, and the Word of God's going to point that out. Again, nothing, look, I don't want to get caught. There's nothing wrong with exercise. It profits little. But the idea is it's not going to make you more spiritual. That, that's what we're talking about here. All right? Amen? Let's stand. We'll pray. And um, let you guys go uh, eat. After you read that, you're like, oh, yeah, it's on. Get me some pig. Bacon. Somebody's like, but I don't eat bacon. That's okay. We already covered Romans 14. It's all right. You have your vegetables. Father, we just, as you just overheard, Lord, and I say, uh, jokingly in my heart, but God, seriously, we know that, um, you are so good in that you have given us so much liberty, but Lord, you also have teaching us, taught us to take our liberty or liberality to uh, never stumble someone else either. So Lord, we want to be careful in that. We, we don't want to, knowing someone's a, a vegetarian, we don't want to invite them over to barbecue, Lord. Uh, So God, in all sincerity, uh, thank you for showing us what it is to be part of this better and this new covenant. Thank you that you've made it very clear that when... Uh, whether it's a denomination, churches, Lord, wh- wherever it is, that we start to hear about these other doctrines, uh, Lord. We know that it, it's a departure from the faith, God. It's it's moving against your standard. And Lord, thank you that you've made it so clear that that is a doctrine of demons, that is a teaching of demons. So God, we, we pray you would protect each and every one of us here, that Lord, you would deliver us from all evil, Lord, that you wouldn't allow us to have any of these things. And maybe, Lord, there's somebody here this morning that for whatever reason, God, in their, in their walk with you, they, they have never read this passage or never understood this passage. And, and therefore, Lord, uh, they've been holding on to something that um, might have ensnared them and trapped them. God, I pray this morning that your children would be set free as we sang our song, Lord, that the chains have fallen. Uh, we're no longer uh, slaves to sin, and we're no longer slaves to legalism. Lord Jesus, we are your bond servants. We belong to you because we are blood-bought, and as we read, God, you have taken on all of sin and all of our Father's wrath, and we thank you so much, Jesus Christ, for doing that for all of us. Uh, We love you, and we worship you. We give you thanks. All glory and honor belong along to you, Lord Jesus Christ, and all God's people pray And amen, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful day. I love you all.